0: Something strange happens in music when the world moves into a new decade. Bands seem to ask themselves, what are we going to look like and sound like in this new era, as though the changing from one year to the next is any different in this case. Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin both did this, although Zeppelin didn't quite get there. Bands like Yes and Genesis were heavily in the prog genre in the 70s, but were pop stars in the 80s. As we moved from the 80s to the 90s, we watched hair metal go by the wayside to make room for flannels and ripped jeans. Synth pop seemed to morph into club hits and Britpop. George Michael, as we discussed a few months ago, tried to step out of the limelight after scoring one of the biggest albums of the 80s. This phenomenon of new beginnings doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you really think about it. It really comes down to wanting to remain relevant in the music scene. I think that should apply to any band any year. I digress, though. One band that embodies this reinvention were hitmakers In Excess. After scoring their biggest album of their career with 1987's Kick, the band had to figure out how to follow it up. In 1990, they released X, a more dance-oriented album that, despite selling two million copies, was considered a bust by the label standards. Yet this album still contained a couple of gems, one of which we will discuss today, Suicide Blonde.
1: Yeah. I'm so glad we're talking about In Excess. I think I am mostly going to be talking about 80s in excess, but uh, that's okay.
0: Well, what what do you know? My very first note here is this episode is a little bit of a cheat, totally a cheat. We'll discuss this song for sure, but there's really an excuse to discuss one of the greatest bands of the 80s who... I personally still completely love and loved back then too.
1: Okay, so should we talk about like our history with In Excess first or should we talk about the song first? Let's, I do have a few things to say about the song for sure.
0: Ab- absolutely. It's it's an absolutely great song. It is. Like like if they had only put out garbage after 1990, I don't think that I, that I would want to do this, but this song is great. Um
1: Yeah, they actually like I, I can like sing like a bunch of their 90s hits. Like they had some, some really good songs in the 90s. I would not say I think they had any great albums in the
0: 90s. No. Well, okay. So let's talk about our history because you can't talk about good albums without talking about Kick, which Kick, is of course. one of the best albums Ever made period?
1: Yeah, it's so funny. Like whenever I put that album on, I always remember it as being like nonstop hits from beginning to end, and it mostly is, but with a couple of filler tracks. <laughs> yeah,
0: th- that's true. It- it's almost like Boston's self-titled exactly. album, but not quite there.
1: I compare th- I compare things to that all the time. Yeah, um, totally. But yes, but but yeah. But Kick had it had never tear us apart. It had Devil Inside. It had New Sensation. <laughs> it had Mystify. It had Mediate, which was him just. like... Like saying a bunch of words that rhymed and was and was like a very successful video on MTV.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, uh, just amazing. Oh, it had "Need You Tonight."
1: Yeah, need you tonight, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: like absolutely ridiculous. All
1: of those songs are on the same album. I,
0: I know, and and so one of the things that I did this week, uh, looking at stuff, is started looking up uh, in excess singles mm-hmm. and how many of them I know well, and they put out so many hit songs during the 80s and the 90s oh, yeah, that like most people over the age of 30 know at least five of them.
1: Yeah. And probably more.
0: P- probably more. I mean, that's very hard for any band to do. And when you say that five of those are all on the same album, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, our history with this band a little bit.
1: Okay. So I got into in excess because I had a good friend named Ben, not my brother, a different Ben in uh Yeah,
0: Ben's not your good friend.
1: Uh no, no. We're <laughs> we we have beef. Um in elementary school, maybe maybe like 7th grade. Um uh so maybe middle school. What and Was that
0: 1965? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um I was uh I I had just uh been asked to be the drummer in the Beatles and uh
0: we were drinking mint juleps and uh watching the Kentucky Derby. I That's right. Know, I don't know what that has to do the 1965.
1: Anyway, uh Ben Ben was a huge In Excess fan. I never heard of them. He's like, "Let me let me play you this uh like some some In Excess." And I was like, "Okay, I'm into this too." And like we would buy cassettes. Like like when we would get our allowance, we would like go and buy an In Excess cassette cuz they already had like six albums out by then. Yeah. Maybe like what by the time Kick came out, um and uh, maybe more than that, actually, um, and uh, and so like I collected like uh, the all the all the in excess cassettes and became a real completist with it. And like for for me, like their run from uh, from Shabu Shabah through so Shabu Shabah, the Swing and Listen Like Thieves, like I love those records. Yeah, like all of them are so fucking good.
0: So you got them all on tape, and then. In like 1988, and this is how I got introduced to NXS, you got a CD player. And first off, for those of us old enough, for some reason, when CDs first started becoming a big thing, they... Came in the same CD case that you know of today, but for some reason that CD case came in a really tall, long box that was almost like artwork on its own.
1: I I forget about the long box and then get reminded of it like every five years or something. That was so stupid. And
0: and (laughs) what you did was you used them like poster art and you'd cut them open and put them on your wall. So I knew that you owned... All six of In Excess's first albums, because all of those boxes were on your wall.
1: Is six? Is six? Okay, so it would have been uh, self-titled. Excess. Underneath the Colors, Shabu Shaba, The Swing, Listen Like Thieves, Kick. You're absolutely yep. right. Yep.
0: Yep. So, I I was like, I don't know who this band is. But
1: you know why I'm getting confused? It's because I keep thinking maybe when they called the album X, they meant it was their tenth album. <laughs> like I, tr- fast, trust fast me, fast X.
0: Yeah, you know? not not lost on me okay. at all um so so you got this cd player which i was like this is the wave of the future this is insane and i remember you got some headphones that made them sound really good and,
1: and but do you know why i had the headphones
0: because you couldn't get speakers that were good enough or you couldn't get a receiver or something along those lines right, right
1: well right because i spent all my money on the cd player the cd player was like two hundred dollars in in 1988 so like like I don't I mean, I'm sure I'm sure our parents like paid for part of it. But still, that was like a ridiculous amount of money in 1988. And so I had that and I had some headphones, I didn't have speakers or an amp or anything else.
0: Oh, it was it was a big deal yeah. that we had a CD player in our house. I I clearly remember that one of the million times that you made me mad at you growing up. Uh, I remember this our mother as punishment said Jake gets to go into Matthew's room and listen to whatever he wants on Matthew's CD player and for some reason instead of wanting to just start flipping through CDs I'm like put. Call cool one from Robert Plants <laughs> now and Zen on repeat and listen to it like twenty times in a row. Okay, this just is doing. It. This
1: is just going to be our eighties episode because, like, I I the other day put on. I listened to all of Robert Plants eighties albums and like you
0: also had all of those,
1: right? They are they are. V- Quite cheesy and the production is very eighties in not my favorite way. But there are some amazing songs on those albums, and now in Zen is a terrific album.
0: It is a terrific album. But this is exactly what I was talking right. about in the intro with like if Zeppelin had made it into the eighties, is that what they would have sounded like? I
1: think possibly.
0: Like that is what I'm talking about when I say reinvention. Yeah. Like why did Robert Plant not just go, Well, that Zeppelin thing was really working? Why don't we keep doing that?
1: I mean, do do I have to be the one to break the news about Bonham to you?
0: <laughs> no, I unfortunately learned that years ago. So, so anyway, uh, I started listening to all these albums because you got them on CD. And then uh, around, I'd say, 1990, we got cable and started watching MTV and started seeing all of these videos. And the band put out... Really, really great videos.
1: Yes, they did.
0: Um, like, like you said, the Need You Tonight mediate video is incredible. I
1: forgot they were they were together. Yeah, because right, they're together right, right. on the
0: album, so they were re- released as like this a side b side thing that they just put together as one song in the in the video, and and it works really well, and it's almost like two separate videos spliced together. So, I remember that, um, and. And so let's talk about this song a little yeah. bit.
1: So I think, like, one of the things that this song highlights for me is that that one thing that made In Excess great is they had incredible energy. Like, this is such a high-energy track without, like, trying too hard.
0: I completely agree. Like, so th- this famous blues harmonica player, Charlie Musselwhite sure. is who plays this harmonica part on this. And it's frenetic, and it's energetic, and the song has this, like, to it where it feels like a freight train that's just kind of pushing along yes like through the entire thing and it's, it's the drums it's this very subtle but but like in their acoustic guitar strumming thing that works so well with everything else yeah and then uh what's what's the amazing name of their saxophone player
1: oh kirk pengley
0: kirk pengley yeah
1: uh, who- as I recall like he he had like a you know kind of cool nerd sort of look for most of the 80s and then on kick he wore sunglasses for the first time and and like we like crossed over into just cool guy. <laughs> I don't <laughs> This know. is the shit that is that that my brain is unfortunately full of.
0: <laughs> what what's what's the name of the actor who plays the nerd in the the Breakfast Club?
1: Oh shit. Um I, I, uh, uh Anthony Michael Hall. Yeah,
0: I I think of like a nerd who puts on sunglasses and all of a sudden becomes cool i'm like oh anthony michael yeah, hall exactly to- totally that um so so yeah the song is written a little bit different from how they were doing things in the 80s and especially on kick where i feel like Pengilly was really out front like like the saxophone was so prevalent and he's kind of taking a backseat thing in this song. And this song is almost like a funk tune, right?
1: It's, I am not I think almost. I think it is a funk tune. Yeah, it's like, like
0: four on the floor.
1: Yep. Uh, uh, it's got like, you know, stabby, stabby punk, not uh, stabby funk uh, guitar. So like really like trebly clean guitar, like, and it's not, you know, a lot of the songs we talk about chord progressions, which I know our listeners must love. Like, we're not going to talk about chord progressions in this song because there almost isn't one. And yeah. that's very characteristic of funk. It's like it's about the rhythm. It's about making cool sounds. And it's about high energy. The chorus of this song basically just hangs on one chord throughout the chorus.
0: And and it's got that like Nile Rodgers from Chic. Yes, like, exactly. Like, uh well, ner- nerding out here like octave style strumming that that just is total funk type yep. thing. And then the bridge is also very interesting because yes. it, it, it kind of brings the whole thing down for a minute. It feels almost like it doesn't belong in the song. And yet it works really, really well. Like like you're almost you feel like you're going at this frenetic pace it's like, oh, let's take yep. a break for a minute and and then kicks back in. Yeah. And then we should talk about Michael Hutchins here.
1: Yeah, of course. Like, uh, just one of, one of the greatest singers tragically died young. Um, and, uh, like there are so many things about his voice that I love. Like he, he could sing really low, really well. And he does in this song. Yeah. Um, like devil inside, I think is, is like the most perfect example of that. But like that, that's a, that's an unusual skill for, for a singer who can also sing pretty high.
0: Yeah. Um, and and like he was a performer too oh yeah people talk about you you got see C- in excess live right yes
1: in uh, there was the second concert i ever saw was 87
0: that's that's With incredible Memorial Coliseum. it was great and many people consider them one of the best if not the best live band of the 80s that like they put out these extremely successful albums but like you saw them live and it was just as good if not better
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah they uh, they and and hushins was like the the heart and soul of that entire thing yeah and and
1: kirk kirk pengley was always out there like you know like moving moving the sax like swinging St- it
0: speaking of heart and soul and kirk pengley uh Saxophone players or rock bands that have saxophone players. I I was thinking about this this week. With there are this. a bunch. There, there are, I don't know if there are a bunch. I came up with Huey Lewis in the news, Heart and Soul, mm-hmm. Men at Work, also Australian, Chicago, Supertramp, Morphine.
1: Yep. So okay. So I, I think we we like do you, do you only count it if like the sax player is like an official member of the band? First off, yes. Okay. So, all right, because um, because like I think Hall and Oates had a had a sax player that was an official member of the band. Yeah, and he, it's, but he wasn't Hall, nor was he Oates.
0: Well, and it's like Steely Dan always has saxophone and always tours with a saxophone, but Steely Dan is technically a duo, right? Um, okay,
1: so the E Street Band.
0: Sure. That okay. Counts. That that definitely counts.
1: Um. I think I think Arcade Fire has a saxophone player.
0: Not always. Okay. I, w- I wouldn't call Arcade Fire a band with a saxophone player.
1: X Ray Specs.
0: Pro- You're gonna probably going to say not a popular band. Not right? a popular band. Fine. I I mean they're a band. It it counts, but it's it's like I think it's hard to do rock music specifically because I don't want to bring like funk or, or 70s yeah, stuff into this. Yeah, I this. understand. Like like doing successful rock music throwing a saxophone on top of it is uh treading on thin ice like sure. like it can be really really good and really add to it or it can be like oh this is a great song and the saxophone comes in and you're like oh you really had to ruin it there didn't you
1: yeah i know what you mean yeah like like you know there's 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 a reason like wham only has one s- sax song <laughs> <laughs>
0: wait a minute what's wham sex oh careless whisper (laughs) yeah damn it (laughs) should have got that one immediately
1: um so let's let's go back to it to his voice a little bit because i i know we have talked about this before i think or possibly this is just like a, a detour that i've gotten into with my with my voice coach um you can definitely describe Michael Hutchins as soulful. Like he's a soulful singer. Like, you know, you could even say like sometimes he's a soul singer and like, I've thought a lot about like what that means. And I think primarily it is referring to what a singer does with pitch and being like very free with pitch. Um, and so like, if you try and sing a, like a typical in excess song, including this one and just kind of like stay on pitch like, it is going to sound terrible um, because he slides between pitches in interesting ways. He does, he, you know, he does little embellishments and melismas. He, he, uh, you know, this is a very common thing, but he, he'll, he like, let let his pitch drop at the end of a phrase in a very musical way. And he seems to be able to do it very uh, intuitively, like, instinctively, and it just always sounds musical and good. Right. And that is what soul singing is all about.
0: I— I've talked many times on this show about uh, trained musicians versus untrained musicians. And mm-hmm. I don't know if Michael Hutchins had years of vocal training or not, but like the ideas that he comes up with are completely his own. Like mm-hmm. like you can hear influences here and there, but I'd be hard pressed to be like, well, clearly Michael Hutchins listened to this person, this person, this person. He was just very much his own thing.
1: Yeah. Devil Inside was a huge hit song, and that is a weird ass song. Like to, to like take things down for the chorus and, and like sing in a super low voice was not a thing anyone else was doing at that point.
0: Yeah, and and it's sultry and and it's interesting because the verses are almost high, the the chorus low And yet you can tell that it's the chorus. It's the opposite thing that songwriting is supposed to do. Supposed to.
1: Um, I interviewed Michael Hutchins uh, shortly before he died when... Holy
0: shit, I did not know this.
1: When when they released their their last album with him, uh, which was... Elegantly wasted, yep. um, and so I was. I was uh, writing about music at that time, and I I did a phone interview with him, and I, I was not very good at interviewing, and I think I asked stupid questions. The main thing that I remember from that interview is, first of all, that uh, uh, someone poured him an ice cold lemonade while we were on the phone, <laughs> which was awesome. Um, was
0: it his grandma? It, it
1: sounded it sounded like he was like maybe like by the pool or something. <laughs> it was it was very satisfying, and that uh, he said that he had he'd been getting into uh, into ska lately and i was like oh you had you had a couple of ska influenced songs on your first album and he was basically like why do you know that
0: (laughs) (laughs) i know everything about you michael i uh i played in cover bands for a long time yeah and i eventually wound up in a cover band where i was playing with a couple guys one of which had tried out for the rock band in excess show that they sure did, right which if people don't remember they came up with this idea that in excess was going to audition lead singers on TV with hilarious results right um, and so uh, this guy went out for it and he didn't make it on the show but he learned like I don't know 20 30 in excess songs in the process awesome so we did a lot of in excess <laughs> covers which was really fun and and uh, point being, somehow in all my years of listening to them up to that point, I hate to admit it, but I had never heard the song Don't Change.
1: Oh, that's one of my favorites. Yeah.
0: It's such an amazing song. It's the last song on Shabu Shabba.
1: Yeah. That album has aged Probably like better than any of their other albums, just in terms of like still sounding fresh and like having like really unusual songwriting. It's it's kind of a moody album for them. It's so good.
0: Yeah. Um. And and they it's it's eighties, but in this way that like ne- in the current era, it feels like somebody could be making it as a throwback album, like a uh,
1: very much like so. you know the
0: yes. band the nineteen seventy five. Yes. Ve- like this could be a, the nineteen seventy five. Yes. Album really really good mm-hmm. uh all of those early albums that like you're saying even the
1: first one is good like it, you can you can tell they're just kind of figuring their sound out but there there are some really catchy songs on that first album
0: um okay so there's there's another note in here that <laughs> what what does this mean let's talk briefly about canadian content in the band men. <laughs>
1: Okay, yes. this, is, this is perfect because this is, it fits right in with our 80s show. Okay, so uh, recently uh, my wife Lori and I, we were dropping our kid off at college for, for their sophomore year. And so we drove up to Bellingham, Washington, which gets radio from Vancouver, B.C. And so we were listening to the Jack FM station from Vancouver, and if you're a a Canadian radio station, I don't know if it's still required by law anymore, but you're going to play a lot of Canadian bands. So we were hearing, like, you know, hits from the 80s and 90s, like, that you would hear on American classic rock radio, plus, like... 40% Canadian bands Um, and so like something would come on and it would be like this band is called The Honeymoon Suite this band is called The Northern Pikes and like we got to the point where as soon as we heard like the first couple notes of the song we're like Canadian band and one of those Canadian bands which people are familiar with is Men Without Hats and they played the song uh, Pop Goes the World which first off that song fucking rules it changes key like six times it has ridiculously catchy. Synth
0: lines, like I—I I don't think I've ever heard this song. I literally thought that the only song that Men Without Hats yeah, ever wrote was the Safety I Dance. I
1: forgot until this came on. I'd like, i am like, have, do I even know this? And then as soon as, as soon as the uh, the like the riff comes, down, I'm like, oh yes, I probably haven't heard this song in 15 years, but I remember the whole thing. And then I went <laughs> online, and I'm sorry to do this visual thing on our podcast, but everybody listening should go check this out. And I started looking at Men Without Hats album covers, and this band had the worst album covers in the world. I'm looking so at some deliberately of these right now. so okay, this is right? Okay, so so yeah, so this was their big hit album, uh, "Rhythm of Youth." Like all this stuff looks like if you gave your four year old Photoshop, they would do a better job than this, and I love it. Here's here's the Pop Goes the World <laughs> album. Like, you can't even read it. Um, and then in 1997, the singer put out his first solo album, and it looked like this. Oh,
0: my God. <laughs> I discovered like, this
1: earlier today, and I was so happy. It, it's
0: like they invented clip art before clip art existed. Yeah. That that is incredible, and it's, and for some reason it feels very Canadian. Like, mm-hmm. wh- while no no American label would allow a band to do this, they'd be like, <laughs> "Great song, by the way, we're trashing your album cover." <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're gonna put something together for you. Canada's like, looks good, guys, nice work.
1: Yeah, and some of these some of these Canadian bands were pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. Like, a lot of there was one like like uh, you know sometimes <laughs> also then like you know Rush would come on it would be like Canadian band yeah. but the ones we hadn't heard of like there was a band that sounded sounded pretty much like Poison but maybe uh, a little better
0: like every rose has thorn Poison or Unskinny Bop Poison
1: uh, Unskinny Bop Poison this this song was called. Uh, she ain't pretty. What was what was the band? Was that the Northern Pikes? It' pretty catchy, and like the the gist of the song is uh, she ain't pretty. Yeah, the Northern Pikes. She ain't pretty. Uh, it's uh, she ain't pretty. She just looks that way, so she's like bad news. Very very eighties concept. <laughs> Um, I'm sure the video is is extremely sexist.
0: Yeah, um, doesn't sound controversial at all.
1: But, but we were both totally grooving on this song.
0: <laughs> nice. Uh, and some tragically hip thrown in there for of good course, measure. Of course, yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I don't know if we're ever going to cover Tragically Hip on this show because I couldn't name one of their songs. But
1: no, like this is it's a, like a, a purely Canadian phenomenon. I think. Like I, I think I mentioned this that uh, like on a like probably last time I was in Canada, I was in a bookstore and picked up a book called something like like ten ten days that uh, that shaped Canada. Like, and it was about like the ten most important days in Canadian history, and one of them was the Tragically Hip's final concert before Gord Downey died.
0: And Gord Downey I mean, is there a better name in in music like...
1: It's it's a great name and it's also so Canadian. I, I, yeah. I, no one like is anyone in the U.S. ever called Gord? I feel like that is a purely <laughs> Canadian nickname. Uh, if you're a, if you're listening to this and you're a Gord or like your uncle is a Gord, we want to hear about it.
0: I, I mean, and that involves like eggplants or anything else. That's for right. That if you're if
1: you're an eggplant, like a like a delicata squash,
0: <laughs> call us up. Um, is an
1: eggplant a gourd? I don't think it is, I, I, but I went with it,
0: folks. Let, let me let me just <laughs> clarify that sometimes thinking on. The the fly is mm-hmm. a lot harder than it sounds. So yeah. that's what popped into my head. Not no, squash. No, I mean, it, we went with eggplant.
1: It's, it's gourd shaped. Yeah, it, it, it right. looks like a gourd. It's an honorary gourd.
0: God, you just, you just gourd my example, didn't you?
1: Okay, so I'm listening to the new album by Honorary Gourd. They're Canadian. <laughs> what are you listening to?
0: Um This is great because I just on Friday night went and saw the band Jungle. Okay. And I have made this discovery that somehow nobody I know... Knows Jungles music, but they were playing in a 7,000-person concert space, and it was sold out. Okay. Yeah, I don't know them. They are an English kind of pop-funk band that's a little—they're not EDM, but they're doing, like, sampling, so it's hard to call them throwback funk. But everything that their sound is is throwback funk. Okay. It's like a dance party. The show— was incredible and they just put out a new album called volcano uh it's so good like it's so listenable it's really really fun and their last album loving and stereo was also great so both of those are worth a listen and then uh next week i'm going to see local natives mm-hmm. who are one of my favorite bands of the last 20 years they just put out a new album time will wait for no one um gorilla manor their first album like such a good album title the, such it's the place that they lived together when they were first writing music mm-hmm. uh, like
1: how when i when i was first writing music i lived at mold manor mold manor yeah. totally
0: uh some people might think that's a joke that's completely no it's serious. absolutely true um this new album is low energy like there have been albums before where i'm like the first couple times i listen to them, I'm like uh eh, di- didn't quite hit it on this one so I'm not gonna say that I don't like it I need to listen to it a little bit a little bit more it just came out but it's very low energy compared to what they've put out before
1: um I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna say the same thing about the new Mitski, which uh, I really want to like but so far not yet
0: I thought Mitski was gonna retire
1: um she did say that sort of and then and then didn't I okay mean, a lot a lot of people say they're gonna do things
0: yeah I mean as long as I didn't Mis- no, no, hear that. no,
1: You, you, you heard that? Okay, so a lot of my favorite bands, including Mitski, have put out new records since the last time we re- recorded. But I'm just going to pick two. Uh, so Ash, long-running uh, uh, straight-ahead rock band, I would say, yeah. you know, alt-rock, I guess, from uh, from Ireland, uh, has a new album, and their previous album Islands is absolutely one of my all-time favorite records. It is. Every single song on it, I love. It is an incredible album, and it came out of the singer's divorce and like you know, writing songs to work through that, which uh, which is like you know you, you get like an automatic boost in in like authenticity, I guess. This new album sort of is called "Race the Night," and the gist is sort of and now let's have fun, which is a much less interesting concept. But there are some really good tracks on it, especially <laughs> the, the title track. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's not going to cost you anything to listen to it. Ash, race the night, just check out the title track. And if you like it, listen to islands, uh, a giant dog. Do you know a giant dog?
0: I know a few of them actually.
1: Yeah. But not, the, um, not the band. Well, some of them formed a, formed a band over in Texas and, uh, they have a new album called Bite. Uh, all of all of their album titles are dog related, um, and they're they're kind of like a trashy like like bar punk band with really sharp songwriting. And their new album, if if I am understanding the lyrics that I can understand, it's sort of like a Twenty One Twelve inspired concept album about like freedom and conformity and stuff.
0: But but not proggy, more punk. But not more more
1: punky than proggy. It's it's uh, like you know super energetic, trashy hook. And uh, th- this album, I think, is really good. And they also have a kind of sibling band with one or more of the same members, the same singer. And I think some of the other s- same members called Sweet Spirit, who put out an album called Trinidad in 2020. I think that is an amazing record.
0: Interesting. Um, so two more things before we go. Uh, one I want to promote my show coming up on Thursday, October 5th. If you live in Seattle, yeah, uh, my band, I do. my band IO Dot and the Uppercuts are opening up for a great uh, Bay Area MC called Lyrics Born mm-hmm. at Nectar Lounge. That's so, amazing. Yeah. I know Lyrics Born. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's fantastic. So that's going to be a really fun show. I also want to give a shout out. I used to be in a band uh, called the Stax Brothers for yep. a few years and we toured all over the place and. Uh, It was a crazy time in my life, and after uh, I left the band, the lead singer hired a bunch of new people, including this guitar player who was very unique and uh, kind of a a self-professed weirdo who goes by Steel Beans, but his name is is Jeremy Debarty. Okay. When he's not playing in Stax Brothers, he does a one-man band thing, which can be very cliche, but he plays guitar... And drums and sings and plays keyboard all at the same time very, very, very well. And everybody who'd seen him do it would see him in front of five people and be like, he keeps making these videos online. At some point, this is going to explode. And sure enough, one of his videos uh, got four million views in a, a week. And he all of a sudden became friends with Anderson Pock Oh, nice. And then... Tenacious D invited him on tour all over Europe, and now just last week he announced that Tool has invited him to be their opener on their entire next tour coming up.
1: Wow. Okay, so... Does he loop or does he like he have extra doesn't arms? Doesn't loop. Okay,
0: it's it's like he's drumming on the snare while strumming the guitar, and Whoa. he solos as well. Look up Steel Beans okay. on YouTube. Yeah, I don't know this or at all. Instagram. Okay, it's. Phenomenal. And for some reason, the only place where he can't gain any traction is Seattle. He did a, a it's
1: because he stole those beans.
0: Yeah, probably. He he did a, a solo performance here and like as a headliner and nobody showed up. Mm. And it's like, well, he doesn't care because he's opening for tools. So yeah, shout sure. out to Jeremy Debarty. Anyway, uh
1: Yeah, and you also you know, you can you can listen to Jake's band like on all of the services also, Io dot in the uppercuts. That's A Y O dot.
0: You can also listen to Matthew's projects on Spotify mm-hmm. um, True. which which we've promoted on here as well. So, you know, you don't just have to listen to this garbage blather that we go on about every month. There's other things out there, folks.
1: Yeah, you can also you can also listen to us like wailing and slapping and stuff.
0: <laughs> that's what I do in my free time. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, you can find us at www.hiddenjukebox.com, instagram.com slash jukebox hidden, facebook.com slash hidden jukebox on all of your favorite streaming platforms. Until next time, I am Jake Amster.
1: And I'm Matthew Amster Burton.